Welcome to the OysterCast, a weekly podcast about the intersection of creativity and technology. My name is Ron Cowie, and with Alex Boudelier, we consist of Oyster Farm Productions, a Rhode Island-based video production company. We use cameras and stuff to tell the stories that make the world a better place. We'll be sharing our experience, giving honest reviews about products and books and whatever else comes to mind, and talking with some pretty fascinating people as we go along. Today, we're going to be talking about gear and the creative process and does a better camera, make a better picture, and how that kind of fits into people's workflow today. Uh, It's a big thing. There's a lot of money in the next greatest thing, and is it really going to help you? So listen up and enjoy. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, what are we talking about? Uh, Gear. Explain why buying the A1 Sony for you right now. Talk about like good equipment, no talent, bad equipment, talent. Which would you rather have? I think a lot of people buy fancy gear as a shortcut. And, you know, the amount of people that I see online on social media um, who just... You know, the people online on social media who they go out and they buy the latest and greatest all the time. And, you know, you just go to YouTube and you search any current gear and you'll see thousands of them. They think that having the latest and greatest will make them better or will at least make them look better. And there's definitely some truth to that. Um, A lot of clients who might not know any better might see a big camera and they'll think, oh, they know what they're doing. You know, that's just evident in the statement of your camera takes great pictures, right? Mm-hmm. But what's way more important is understanding light, understanding how to manipulate it, understanding your your subject, the story, you know, the emotion behind your image or your video. Nobody cared what paints Bob Ross used, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the same idea. You know, I shot professionally for years on my old Canon 20Ds, you know, one of which did had a broken screen. And, you know, I was working with people who had, you know, the 5D Mark III, which was kind of the latest and greatest at the time, um, or the 5D Mark II even, you know, and I shot with those for, you know, until they were worth $75 each. And I finally upgraded to something else when I wanted to shoot video. But you don't need the latest grace and sure like in in my case i definitely want you know something new but that's because i'm i'm kind of pushing the limits of the camera that i have and and you know i haven't upgraded in a long time and so i've i've gotten to know this camera really well and there's some limitations that i'm kind of tired of dealing with but you know we still make great pictures we still make great video you know we still it's not affecting our work in a way that's going to make us lose business or uh, make us you know, go out of our way in any significant capacity. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, to add to that, when I got into, when I kind of was apprenticing as a photographer, you know, after I got out of photo school and we were all just shooting like Chrome and film and digital was kind of this thing that was just starting to come along i mean i think like a one megapixel camera or whatever was that was big stuff or two megapixel camera like holy crap 
you know, it, so digital was it was on the horizon, but the color spaces weren't very good and all that stuff. But people who ju kind of jumped on, I think, um, you know, for the the cost of you know a good camera and a year's worth of film, you have a camera that is mm -hmm. going to be good for you for a couple of years. You know, but then you're going to have to buy another one. I learned how to shoot on this camera. This what is, is that? The original Canon Rebel. 350d um it is well not original because they had film rebels but digital rebel um you know shot a cf card this is my dad's camera um i remember he had a one gig cf card and it was a big deal it oh was yeah like that's a lot of storage like we also had the 256 megabyte cards and it's like the a7s3 or even uh, any modern camera could spit out a 256 megabyte photo mm -hmm. it it's just mind-blowing like this was i think it's eight maybe six megapixels it's got the little pop-up flash yeah I mean, rebels still have that it's chunky you know it's it's got this teensy tiny little screen on the back i just remember loving every second of it uh i think i, st I probably still have the batteries kicking around somewhere i don't have any more canon lenses but it'd be fun to maybe rent one and just like go out and play with it for a day mm-hmm uh, and then I upgraded to that and it has the same kind of mm -hmm. crappy little screen on it. There is something about, you know, having a new camera definitely open up kind of new layers of creativity. Like mm -hmm. when I upgraded from my Canon to this camera, what I, camera is that? Uh, I'm shooting on the a seven two right now, which isn't current by mm -hmm. any means. You know, it's, it's pretty old by, you know, modern standards at least. And when I upgraded from my Canon 6D, it was it was a bit of a linear upgrade. I really just wanted to switch systems because I wasn't liking what Canon was coming out with, mm -hmm. and this was going to hold its value more. And I just remember like never picking up my camera. Like I just wasn't inspired to go shoot. I wasn't doing anything interesting. And you know, I had some paid gigs here and there, but I wasn't invested in them. And when I switched to this, I was excited. Like all I wanted to do was go out and shoot and learn the camera and see what it could do. And at the end of the day, it can do all of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it, <laughs> I was using the same lenses. Nothing was different. Uh, it was just a different box for light to go into. But it, it kind of was a vehicle for a, uh, a refreshment of creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think that can happen too you know sometimes just buying a new piece of gear can do that you know whether it's a new lens it could be a new light it could be new anything or just renting something occasionally i would just go to borrow lenses and i'd rent a lens for a week mm -hmm. you know just to try it and then just to feel creative in a different way um with different limitations really you know if you rent like a 400 to eight or something like you know that's expensive but it allows you to be a kind of creative that you wouldn't get otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that's can be productive. Well, if you have ideas in your head for a shot or something and the equipment that you have does not allow you to best articulate that, that's very frustrating. I think, I mean, because a lot of the energy that I'm spending these days is in audio recording and really getting... You know, when I first started, it was like, well, a microphone's a microphone, you know. And as I've kind of gone down that rabbit hole, it's like, 
not all microphones are created equal and some microphones are there are microphones and then there are microphones and we're both kind of talking I'm, I'm talking on a sure sm7b and you're talking on the road nt1 uh which are not they're great microphones they're, they are industry standard in a lot of ways and they you know for very good reasons um and then there's this whole other kind of solar system of microphones that are incredible that you know and, and for very very specific or not necessarily specific reasons but they're just solid you know and, and that's a, the, the best advice i give someone if you're interested in podcasting if you're interested in doing any kind of audio visual stuff buy the best that you can get at the time and when it comes to microphones microphones don't go bad you know like microphone like you know the, the sm7b like if i plug this if we if we go into a hyperbaric or you know a, a, a frozen state and come back in 100 years and plug this microphone in it's still going to be really good mm -hmm. like it's not you know the technology for audio recording it it will improve here and there but some of the stuff that they've been doing for 50 60 70 years is still incredible and there are you know and so that that's kind of I think that's one of the reasons why I'm really kind of more interested in the audio stuff is because I can spend, you know, money on a, a good microphone and I might not be qualified to use that microphone to its full extent, but I can grow into, as I learn more, that microphone's going to follow me. And there are some, I, I take comfort in that, mm -hmm. you know, that I don't have to, you know, with a camera, especially with digital stuff, you know, like I, it, it's really frustrating. It's it, it's just the state of the game. Uh, I'm getting more convenience with my digital platforms, but I know I have to upgrade. Every five years or so, it's traded in and get another one. And that's just the cost of doing business. Um, yeah. And lenses, at least, I mean, I, I uh, differing feelings on this, but lenses are kind of the same way. Yeah. You know, ideally, lenses will last you forever. I think that's becoming less true mm -hmm. recently. You know, back in the day, especially with film lenses, like I have four film lenses behind me that are, you know, older than me that I still use all the time. And I know that if I were to break one, not only could I replace it for nothing, but I could get it serviced because it's all mechanical. I had a Canon 70 to 200 um, that I dropped. I'll admit that, mm -hmm. but one of the keys inside snapped and it took, I, I brought it to a shop, great shop, but it required a Canon part to fix and Canon refused to service it. Mm. This was a $1,800 lens and they refused to service it because they had come out with a version two and they wanted you to buy that one. And that is actually why when I switched to Sony, cause I was like, this is insane. Yeah. Like, you're, it doesn't matter how old this lens is. It was nearly $2,000 and you're not going to fix it. Yeah. A piece of plastic that's, you know, smaller than my pinky nail, like mm -hmm. really? And, you know, new camera, especially now with the mirrorless, you know, shift, you know, now that I'm guessing the EF mount, the Canon EF mount is going to be eliminated in the next five to 10 years and everything will switch to RF or at least in, in like the stills capacity and the Sydney capacity, maybe not, but you know, so it's just like, you can't rely on that anymore. Yeah. 
you know, Canon did that back from FD to EF, and now they're doing it again from EF to RF. And, you know, Sony did the same thing. You know, their alpha mount was renowned for its backwards compatibility. And E-mount cameras can still do that, but you need adapters and everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these FE lenses, how, how many years are we going to have them before they get replaced? Yeah. So that's frustrating. Yeah. And, I mean, back in the day, if you will, there was Canon, Nikon, Olympus, Leica. There were a few brands, contacts, you know, and you you bought like if you were a photojournalist, there there were a few platform pro level platforms. Like if for pro cameras, there was basically Canon, Leica, and Nikon. You know, and, and contacts, but it, you know, for the most part, like the three were Canon, Leica, and Nikon. You could buy in 1950 a Leica, I don't know what was, a Leica rangefinder camera, go to, you know, do your job, you know, and have that camera serviced regularly, you know, buy your lenses. You could buy a 35, I think it's F2 Summicron, that's kind of the famous lens uh, for Leicas, and in, in 1950, and if you had if you just upgraded your bodies as time went on and wear and tear and whatever and still use that lens as long as you took care of it like that thing if you had a 50 year career so you could use that same lens for 50 years mm-hmm. you know like a well maintained piece of glass cuz cuz they're out there they're they're lenses and and even bodies from back then that are you know it's not like the, the technology for advancing film through a camera is much different than recording light onto a sensor. And, and the oh, yeah. sensors are always getting better. Well, and it's act, the A1 even has actually, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this performs in practice, but the fact that it can shoot 30 frames per second stills is kind of going to shoot them in the foot a little bit because lenses like the 70 to 200 2.8 G Master, which is you mm-hmm. know a $2,500 lens, at least, can't do that. Mm-hmm. It can't shoot fast enough. It, it'll be limited to, I think, 15 frames per second. And a lot of other G lenses will be limited to 20 frames per second. Mm-hmm. And granted, you know, you need to have, you know, the CF Express Type A cards to be able to even do it in the first place. But, you know, these lenses that Sony users have spent time building up, won't even be able to keep up with their flagship camera to that degree. Obviously, they'll still work just fine in every other capacity, but that one high speed burst stills, you know, they won't be able to keep up. Yeah. And so you have the autofocus plus now that 8K is becoming a thing as ridiculous as it is at the moment, you know, it will be the standard eventually, you know, a lot of lenses can't they don't have that resolution. You know, even just switching from standard def to, to high def, you know, a lot of like news outlets not only had to upgrade all their cameras, they had to upgrade all their lenses because the standard def lenses wouldn't resolve that resolution on high def cameras. And we're gonna see the same thing. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why you see, you know, cine cameras that only take certain mounts because you only make good glass for those mounts. So, it's if you put a soft lens in front of an 8k camera it's gonna look terrible yeah 
as resolution increases, you know, you've got 12K, you know, the Blackmagic Ursa Mini G2 shoots uh, 12K. You're you're narrowing your field of lenses that you can use, and it's only gonna be get it's only gonna get worse as yeah. time goes on, because you're gonna have all of these lenses that you know, assuming Canon or whoever supports them, um, that you just can't use on anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like the old film lenses I have in my case that, you know, they have their creative uses, but otherwise are just, they're just kind of there. Yeah. And I don't use them with any confidence most of the time um, when I have new stuff. Yeah. There you go. It's a wild time to be alive. It is. And, and it's, you know, lamenting the the industry as it is right now. Yeah. But the, alter, the, the bigger thing that's really exciting is this new technology and this ability to kind of put great equipment in someone's phone is, um, it has opened up creative channel. I mean, my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter is making videos all the time. And my 22-year-old stepson is recording bass tracks and music. And and my wife is using her computer to collaborate with other musicians. And she's cutting an album. I mean, she has a pro-level software platform in her iMac. And she's really, you know, it's really allowed people access to create to the level of their imagination. And that's, you know, and I do think, and this is something that, needs to be said is that like the the creative business for a very long time was a bit of an exclusive club and if you didn't have the money you couldn't play and and that and there was a question of accessibility that you know if you didn't know the right person if you didn't have a certain person in your rolodex it didn't matter how good you were you know i mean or or it was a lot harder you know, and now because of all the different platforms that people can kind of put and share their work out on and they're presenting amazing work, it's ridiculous. We're spoiled for choices. I mean, we think about the music that we use for our um, our video reels and it's all royalty free and we subscribe to, uh, what is it, Artlist mm-hmm. and um, Audio Blocks. And I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, it's like these are artists and they're submitting their music and it's good. It's not, you know, it's like, it, and we just download it, a high-res thing. It's awesome. That wasn't the case years ago, or not that long ago, actually. And so I guess what we need to do, and also a, a thought that really has been at the forefront of my mind, is that because, I mean, we aren't going to have necessarily the highest quality, most amazing produced work, but we're going to be able to do a lot more a lot faster. And I think there's something to be said about having an operation tempo that's much faster, that allows you to create and produce and then go back and make another one. That learning curve that we're, we're both in, really, and I think we both suffer a certain amount from perfectionism, is something that, you know, that people who have this technology and they think it's amazing and their their it surpasses their vision so they're just cranking it out and they don't know they don't necessarily know what they're doing and we who are cursed with intelligence <laughs> you know um it is oh it, it could always be better but it's like yeah make the next one better and i think that's ultimately 
you know, where we have to land with this stuff is that like we can have the best camera and we can kind of hold out and be creative, you know, restrain ourselves here and there. We're just like, oh, I just don't feel like it. But the people who have this stuff and it's like Christmas for them every day and they're just out making crappy pictures or bad podcasts or whatever, you know, but they're just doing it over and over and over again. They ultimately win. And that I don't think has changed throughout history. Like the people who are prolific and in the game and kind of always uh, not aggressive like mean, but they're just doing it again and doing it again. And they're not deterred. Uh, I, I'm reminded of the, the movie The Orchid Thief, you know, it, which is a wonderful example of this thing, you know, where it's I, I forget the, the writer's name, but he is very kind of, you know, trapped in his um, his kind of it all has to be right. And there's a process and whatever. And then his twin brother, who just wants to do it and has nothing but enthusiasm and is taking all these classes and whatever. And he's just cranking it out and not worried about it gets more success and there so there's that kind of tension and i know that's that that's a real thing <laughs> you know mm -hmm. i can identify with that and i my my professional jealousy usually comes from watching someone who i think is not necessarily as talented as i am or has has paid the dues as i have and they're getting more success because they're just doing it and it's like huh and if i really you know, get down to it, it's because, you know, they're less anxious about their reputation mm -hmm. than I am. And I, yeah. and I believe that effort, I, I, I admire people who are just putting it out there. So why should I hold myself to a higher standard? I mean, and it's partly because I'm afraid of making a mistake in public, but I don't think that's something that's, you know, if you make a mistake in public, we'll just do it again. Yeah. And I think what I'm, I, I get paranoid about is, you know, I'm one of those people that if I, if I'm looking for something like we were, you know, when we were looking for, you know, venues and DJs and stuff for our, our wedding, there's hundreds of options out, thousands of options out there for any vendor that we can choose. And, you know, we'd go through, you know, the knot wedding wire and everything. If there was even like the slightest thing that I didn't like, maybe like, maybe their website was just bad or they didn't have good pictures on their not profile or whatever instant pass mm -hmm. you know so i we were brutal in our uh searching for people and ultimately we're very happy with the people that we've chosen but those those snap decisions of nope i don't like these people their website sucks mm -hmm. and the long version of that is if they can't be bothered to keep their website up to date with modern stuff or you know their logo doesn't make sense or like design choices you know it makes me question their creative like their overall creativity yeah right like if a if a photographer has a terrible website it's like your whole thing is about making good images mm -hmm. and you don't you're not presenting yourself in a good image so because of me being brutal with all of that it makes me paranoid that other people are too and therefore everything that i put out has to check every box yeah or at least not check any negative boxes mm -hmm. and that that you know that's paralyzing right yeah. because then you don't put anything out because you're too afraid of one person 
saying, nope, don't like it. But like, if they don't like that one thing, do you really want them as a client anyway? Yeah. And, and same goes the other way, right? Like does those people that I instantly dismissed, you know, I'm probably, you know, not their client. You mm-hmm. know, I care about the little details too much or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I look at those, you know, the, the details, I would much rather have a simple website that pays attention to the details than someone who is trying to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And where we are in our business, I think we're, we've been kind of, you know, because of, you know, the distance and the work and, you know, the economy and all that stuff, we haven't be able to, been able to kind of, you know, drill into projects. But what I think we're, we've just dumb lucked into is having projects that are about what we're really interested in and creating projects that are, um, you know, focused on people in process and people who, you know, we, we really are those people who like to pay attention to details and to really make something amazing. And we're really attracted to people who do that in their professional lives as well. And those are the clients that I, you know, we really like. I think about heritage restoration and how exciting mm-hmm. it is to just kind of be in the space with these people who are incredibly humble and incredibly talented and passionate about what they do uh, in a, of just, it's, it's a way of life. It's really important for us, I think, to, um, to be that, uh, you know, to surround ourselves with people who kind of feel the same way. And also to kind of be a little bit human about it as well, because like you said, we can kind of get to a level or we can elevate that to a point to where it actually is counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And that's the, you know, the, the, there has, that's the dichotomy of it uh, is that, you know, you can really have, you can have really high standards and professional standards for yourself, but you also can't let those high standards and professional expectations to get in the way of doing the work. And, and I've, I've been very guilty of that. That, that shows the insecurity, you know, the human side of that is that, well, I'm just insecure. I've been doing this for a while, but I'm still insecure. You know, I want to be liked. I want to be appreciated. And I don't and I don't have a real clear sense of what enough is. I want a parade for doing everything. And I despise anyone who throws a parade for doing anything. <laughs> it's like you can't win with me. But that's why having a lot of little projects and this podcast, you know, this, you know, this thing that this conversation we're having it's not going to be that good, but we're going to do it again and again, and it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah. so this is the first, you know, if you're listening to this, this is the first crappy podcast, and the crap factor will go down as we produce more. But we, you know, this is kind of what we talk about on our lunch break and whatever, and it's it's helpful for us, so it might be helpful for you too. Anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I think, you know, well, the the content will evolve over time, and we'll, we're going to just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what we're working on and how we're working on it, and kind of our philosophy behind all of it. And you know, hopefully, you know, if you're a creator, that that's helpful. If you're kind of in the same, trying to operate in the same space, then that's helpful to you. And if you're not, and you just like to get in the heads of other creatives, then hopefully, this is helpful. 
Yeah. And if you want to jump in on the conversation, you know, that's something we can do too. So Twitter, Instagram. Yep. We're listening. Yep. 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 All right. Talk to you later. See ya. This was a good conversation, Alex. Was. All right. You have been listening to the OysterCast with Alex Boudelier and Ron Cowie. Please subscribe so you don't miss out. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and, of course, ask any question or comment you might have. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, be well and have fun.